was just 17, you know what I mean. It's episode 17 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. I am Patrick Macias, the editor-in-chief of Otaku USA magazine. And I'm Matt Alt, the author of many things, but most importantly, Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World. Are you a dancing queen, Patrick? You're only 17. We're only 17. This is this is a big moment for us. I feel like we've gotten our driver's license. We're just starting to like kind of get out on our own, explore the world. What's the future hold? Things can only get better from here. So we do this every week. We jump on the mics and start ranting and raving about uh, news and crazy stuff from Japan until someone tries to stop us and it hasn't happened yet. But we're going to go straight into it here with the news. Top Katakawa execs arrested in widening Tokyo Olympics bribery scandal. Oh, wow. Another Olympic bribery scandal? Color me shocked. This is a follow-up to an earlier story from a few weeks back about Tokyo Olympic officials taking bribes from the Aoki Suit Company and features some of the same pimps, players, and hustlers. This one's a relatively small bribe. It's only 70 million yen, which is quote unquote only about half a million dollars or was before the yen crashed against the dollar. Yeah, but that's enough to send you to the slammer and to uh, disgrace your name for generations to come. And it's a big name. Katakawa this time. Let me continue reading this. So Tokyo prosecutors arrested top executives at publishing giant Katakawa on Tuesday on suspicion of bribing a former Tokyo Olympics organizing committee executive in exchange for favorable treatment as an official sponsor. Katakawa's headquarters and the home of Chairman Sugihiko Katakawa were searched the same day. Katakawa became an official sponsor in April 19 and was selected by the Olympic Committee to publish the game's official guidebook and records. Just more reminders that sports ruin everything, Matt. How do I get on this gravy train? I'll, t- I'll take bribes to, to publish Olympic stuff. I'm, I'm happy, you know, <laughs> by all means. I, 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 don't even, I don't even know what to say here. I'm sure we're going to see more of this stuff in the near future. As we've talked about many times in previous episodes, the Olympics coming to Japan were not really popular among people at large. And uh, none of these recent scandals does anything to dissuade a lot of people from thinking that this whole thing was one giant boondoggle to line the pockets of PR companies, publishers, and the big companies uh, and corporations that were involved in running the Olympics. Yeah, but I mean, the man is going after the perps. I mean, first Aoki Suits, now Katakawa. Like, who's next? Mr. Donut? Like, when is this going to stop? I guess at the top of the pyramid is probably Dentsu. You know, the biggest advertising company in Japan, who I, I'm assuming may have something to do with, uh, you know, all the crazy stuff that happened at the Olympics. And they were apparently searched earlier this year, but no one's done the perp walk quite yet. Dentsu is one of those two big to fail uh, companies here. It is just so entwined in the fabric of corporate and government uh, life here as a kind of promoter, PR, like kind of what have you fixer for big events that need fixing. I've heard talk that they're going to be involved in running the uh, Abe funeral, uh, state funeral, which is another big controversial thing that I'm sure we're going to be talking about in future podcasts, the government holding a, a government paid funeral for Shinzo Abe, who was assassinated several months back. Stay tuned for more information on that front. But in the meantime, just some background on Katakawa. They're not just one of the biggest publishers. They're one of the biggest media companies in Japan. And uh, I think a lot of us have experienced their content one way or another, either through like big, big, big scale anime like Harmageddon, Dagger of Kamui. They've recently produced some of the biggest anime hits like Your Name, Sword Art Online. And trouble does run in the family over there. Katakawa is a family owned business. The previous guy who owned the company, Haruki Katakawa, was arrested in 1993 for coke smuggling. And his brother, Sugihiko, 
Rico took over and he's been running it ever since. But uh, now we'll see what happens. Um, I mean, I, I love Katakawa movies. Some of my favorite Japanese films are Katakawa movies like uh, G.I. Samurai starring a time traveling Sonny Chiba, Kinji Fukusaku's Virus, which predicted the global pandemic, the bubble economy epic Dirty Hero, directed by Haruki Katakawa himself. And who could ever forget Sailor Suit and Machine Gun? Katakawa is also really kind of famous uh, for kind of rocket fueling the whole media mix phenomenon in Japan, where, you know, when an animation or really anything comes out, any kind of entertainment comes out, it's supported by this kind of network of, you know, publishers, TV stations, toy companies, model companies, you know, record companies. And Kadokawa was really sort of key to being a sort of engine of, of driving the commercialization of all sorts of fictional fantasy worlds in Japan. So, yeah, you have experienced the, the miracle of Kadokawa in the past. So it's uh, they're definitely they're definitely out there. They're tendrils, so to speak, in every every nook and cranny of the Japanese fantasy industrial complex. Mark Steinberg, who wrote the book Anime's Media Mix, he talks a lot about Kadokawa. The company and its owner were reviled by film critics because of Katakawa's heavy reliance on advertising, media spectacle, and what they termed a, quote, superficial image culture, unquote. Sounds like fun to me. Sailor Suit and Machine Gun? You're telling me that is a superficial film? So we'll see who gets popped for bribes next. Maybe it'll be Dentsu. Maybe it'll be Pizza Law. <laughs> pizza Law. Boy, you know, it's... I haven't had Pizza Law in that... It's, are they still... Are they still a force to be reckoned with here? It's, I really feel like Domino's has sort of kicked their butt. Pizza Law's still around. You know, I don't see the uh, scooters going around the neighborhood quite as much as Domino's, but you never know. I mean, behind closed doors, maybe they're taking bribes from Shakey's. Maybe no one is innocent, but some are more guilty than others. They are food folks and fun, though. If I had my own restaurant, it would have everything I like. Pizza, chicken, more pizza, and dessert, too. There'd even be a salad bar. Poor my parents. And there'd be these scary prehistoric creatures flying around. Nah. But there would be lots of really cool games I could play. And those prizes I could win, too. You know what? If I had a restaurant, it'd be just like Shakey's. Go to Shakey's and enter to win a pizza party and Nickelodeon gift bags for you and your friends. Okay, up next on this here news segment, a Russian hacker group called Killnet attacks Japan. The Tokyo Metro and Osaka Metro websites were rendered inaccessible on Wednesday evening in what appears to be a second day of cyber attacks on Japan with a pro-Russia hacker group claiming responsibility on social media. On Tuesday, Killnet posted on its Telegram claiming responsibility for the attacks and wrote that the attacks were made in protest of Japan's militarism and that it was, quote, kicking the samurai, unquote. Uh-huh. Yeah, Japan's militarism? You mean the military that doesn't operate at all outside of Japan's borders? Kicking the samurai? Is that like chasing the dragon or like cutting the cheese? I'm not really sure. Well, there was this this whole thing inspired a lot of derision on uh, Twitter this morning. Uh, people were laughing because Killnet was bragging about taking out, quote unquote, Japan's second largest social media network. Uh, apparently they hacked Mixie, but Mixie has really not been a force in Japanese society for quite some time. So it's kind of like, I don't know, taking credit for blowing up MySpace. Friendster. <laughs> Friends, exactly. A chat roulette. 
Uh, so it's like, you know, you know, this is this is a kind of a scary thing. They have a scary name, Killnet. Yeah, they have a scary video. They did like a scary video for Twitter, which has like a guy like in a, in a ghost-faced killer meets Michael Myers mask, yes. kind of talking in like a electronically altered Russian. <laughs> What dastardly thing will happen next? It's very Oshi Mamoru anime kind of setup. People here don't seem to really be paying much attention to it. It's, you know, it's always a uh, a bad thing when outside bad actors are attacking your digital infrastructure. And to be brutally honest, I think Japan's digital infrastructure is probably woefully unprepared for this sort of thing. If this does nothing more than serve as a wake-up call that like IT administrators need to be taking their security and change those passwords from 12345 to something a little bit stronger, uh, then I think this will actually, on the whole balance, turn out to be a good thing. And on that note, our next news item, very alcohol-related here. Following on the heels of something we reported earlier, Japan urging its young people to drink more to boost economy. Here's the headline, Matt. Suntory eyes U.S. can cocktail push as young Japanese shun booze. Japanese drinks giant Suntory last year debuted a strong lemony brew in Australia that quickly became the top seller in the canned cocktail market there. Now the company is aiming to replicate that success in North America, critical to its aim in becoming the global leader in the fast-growing alcohol drink segment. Canned cocktails. Canned cocktails have been a thing here for a really long time, just like canned coffee has been a thing in Japan for a really long time. And to be honest, I'm actually shocked that uh, Japanese companies haven't more aggressively tried to target that space in the West. But it's it's interesting because companies like Suntory and Kirin have traditionally seemed more interested in acquiring American and European assets than they have been in aggressively expanding their footprints there. Like for instance, you know, Suntory owns like Jim Beam and a lot of other big brands that you might not be aware of. And they just, they, they acquire them and keep them that way uh, so that they can distribute them in Japan. But this is one of the first sort of attempts I can think of where they're going the other way. They're trying to take their own IP, so to speak, and in, in alcoholic IP and expand it abroad. It'll be really interesting to see how it sells. People love Japan. People love alcohol. It seems like a win-win situation. But it's not quite the same strong zero as you remember it, Matt. It says here the company tapped a localization team to adapt its Japanese bestseller strong zero for the Australian market. The lemony tang was tweaked and the alcohol was dialed down from a hefty 9% to a more drinkable 6%. Can you imagine giving Australians like mild zero? So 9% tall boys are everywhere in, in Japan. And in fact, probably the most consumed of that segment. And those things are like rocket fuel. They will really put you on your backside if you aren't careful because they're very sweet tasting. They're almost like soda pop and they will pop you one. So I don't know how this is going to. So localization actually isn't just about text and things like that. It's also about tweaking things to, to match local regulations. So it makes sense. Like maybe you can't sell a 9% alcoholic drink that looks like it's made for, you know, kids on foreign markets like you can here. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you two things. I think they actually don't need to localize the cans at all for selling them in the States. I think they have a lot of pop art to them look and people love things from Japan. It gives them authenticity. And my second thought on this is if they actually hire Bill Murray as their pitch man, they will win the internet 
for a significant period of time. I, I think Suntory, Highballs, Bill Murray, it's like a match made in heaven. Hire all Japan. I can put this strategy together. Are you, are you listening, Suntory? Are you listening? It's Suntory time. Yoi! Start! For relaxing times, make it Suntory time. I mean, the thing is, like, will you be able to find these mild zeros at your local Piggly Wiggly supermarket? And, like, will there be, like, lots of, like, lonely old men with no place to go outside the company, like, drinking them like there are in my neighborhood or your neighborhood, probably, all over Japan? People drink that stuff for breakfast, those 9% strong zeros. Here's the campaign. Young people in Japan aren't drinking anymore. You gotta pick up the slack, America. Well, the government was telling young people, like, not to gather and drink for, like, two and a half years. And now they're saying you guys aren't drinking enough. Can't win for losing. Exactly. Get your act together, Japanese government. You're being hacked by weird, you know, non-state actors. You're telling people to not drink and then drink, please. And on that note, we're going to go to a commercial and come back with our feature presentation, part two of our interview with Japanese filmmaker Ryuhei Kitamura. Over the past hundred years, a succession of relentless wars and widespread environmental destruction had awakened deadly monsters. At last, instead of killing each other, mankind had come together to combat the monsters. The Earth Defense Forces were born. At the same time, mutant humans with remarkable physical abilities were being discovered all over the world. The Earth Defense Forces recruited these mutant humans and formed them into a special unit. Their name, the M Organization. Their mission was to destroy the number one enemy, the King of Monsters, that appeared in 1954 and has since regularly threatened man's very existence on this planet. Its name is... So we just want to go into some good old-fashioned random questions for Mr. Ryuhei Kitamura now that we have you on the phone. So it's been a long time since we last talked. It's been since, what, 2008. So what did you do during the pandemic? Did it affect your work at all? Yeah, of course, you know, as, as everybody else, a lot of my projects being postponed or they canceled, but, uh, you know, but because I have, you know, I couldn't go anywhere. So, uh, I, I wrote a script, you know, with, uh, my uh, writing partner in UK and we made, uh, we actually made a movie called The Price We Pay with, uh, Emil Harsh, Stephen Dove and Vernon Wells. Wait, Vernon Wells from, uh, Road Warrior? Yes, yes. Wow, he's still around. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, during the pandemic, we wrote the script. And just as America was opening up last, which was last July, I shot this movie in New Mexico. And this was like most chaotic, challenging shoot I in my entire career. Because I had I had to shoot another movie in Japan called uh, Three Sisters of Temaso, which is going to come out in Japan in two months. But because of this, you know, movie making is never easy. So you know, setting up the the casting and the closing, all the complicated deal took much longer than we thought. So then I had obligation to go to Japan. So I was like, you know, I can't do this, you know, small movie anymore. But then I got lucky. So Emil Hash wanted to do it, and he made a phone call to his friend Stephen Dove. And Stephen called me and we talked over the phone and he said, I'm in. So, wow, you have Emil Hirsch and Stephen Dove. You have to do it, right? So uh, it's now or never because movie making is all about the timing. If you miss the timing, you never know it's going to happen or not. And last July, we got greenlit. So, uh, but what happened was I had only five days to prep. <laughs> I had only 15 days to shoot, which is insane. 
And this is not like, you know, two, two guys locked in this you know, cell and it's all about the conversation. It's like full of blood and guts and shooting and action. Complicated movie. So like, wow, I have, I have five days to prep. That's like insane. And 15 days to shoot. But, you know, we decided to do it. So uh, I did it. And yeah, exactly. A year later, movie. Uh, yeah, we just did. The, yeah, it was last night. Um, we did the premiere in London. Went great. Congratulations. Yes, and, and I'm leaving for Brussels International Fantastic Film Festival this Friday uh, because we're doing the premiere over there. So uh, even in a time of pandemic, I, I made a movie. That's excellent news. Yes. Then I, you know, so uh, I shot that crazy movie, then came back to L.A. a couple of days, then went to Japan. And yeah, then I shot this movie called Three Sisters, Ten Maso which is I'm very proud of. So um, it's very different from my previous movie. No blood, no kaiju, no ac- no action. Yeah, I saw the trailer. I saw the poster and I was like, wow, this is like a very, very different side of Kitamura we, I've not seen before. So can you tell us a little bit about the film? It's It's been my passion project because uh, this is based on the manga created by, uh, he's, he's like my brother, uh, Tsutomu Takahashi. We did Alive, we did Sky High the series, we did Sky High the movie, and we did Love Death. So uh, he's really like my, my brother, you know, genius, Tsutomu Takahashi. And when, you know, that uh, tsunami happened in Japan, you know, Fukushima, right? Yes. Uh, I, was in, I was in Japan and I was with him. And, and you know when that happens, you know, I mean, it was so scary, right? Because we we had no idea what's gonna go. You know, if that nuclear reactor blows up, then even you live in Tokyo, you know, we might die, right? That's that's right, right. that's how we freaked out. So, uh, you know, then a couple of months later, Stomo told me that you know this is almost like you know after the war situation, but you know most of the Japanese they are kind of like they're like numb, comfortably numb. You know, they don't really care. Especially when you're not living in the zone, you know. If you're living in Tokyo after after one year or after six months or after one year, you start to forget about it, you know. Right. And that's not that's not good. So he said that I have to say something about what's going on because I'm a creator, you know, and I'm a manga artist. I'm gonna say something, you know, to this Japan. What's going on in Japan? So when he told me that, I was like, you know, wow. You know, my brother is like amazing. I mean, I and I asked him, "What are you going to do?" And he said, "I have no idea because I'm busy doing this." You know, <laughs> my I have to first. I have to end my series, and he was doing this uh, big hit series called Shido that time. But once I, you know, finish Shido, I'm gonna I'm gonna create something. And Three Sisters Temasa was one of the one of the thing you know he did after that tsunami. And when the first episode came out, you know, I was blown away because it's kind of like a spin-off of Sky High, but it's very different from Sky High. So I was like, wow, you doing the Sky High universe and doing the completely different thing. So I fell in love with the first episode. And when I read the last episode, I just knew that, you know, okay, I have to do this. I have to turn this into a movie, you know. So, uh, but of course, you know, it has the you know much wider, bigger theme, but yes, it's it's about kind of about you know the March 11 tsunami, the earthquake incident. So this story, the central central core of of the story is that. So you know you have to be very careful, right? Because it's a very sensitive issue. So I knew that you know I can't do it right away. I have to wait for the right timing. And the other thing is that you know 
movie making is never easy. And most of the time, you know, you have to fight the producer, which is very unhealthy. But uh, <laughs> especially when you're making making movie in America, yes, you know, executives and producers, they are the one, you know, I mean, you hired me. And you think you, you think you are a better director than you know? Come on, you just sit in my chair. They do it yourself, right? Right, right, so, right. So um, I determined that because this story is very special to me. It's not like you know. I mean, slasher movie, zombie movie, action movie. That's kind of easy for me. But this one has like very important message theme. So uh, I had to do it right so i had to find the right producers and i had to find the right team to do this you know so i was it's been always in my mind for the last eight years but then two years ago um i again it was in the middle of the pandemic you know i just felt that this is the time we should we should send out the message and we should do it and you know, I teamed up with this great producer, Taro Maki. He produced this, you know, state of art, beautiful animation called In This Corner of the World. Yes. Very, very popular. Yes. And he's been my friend for like more, almost like 25 years, you know, and we did the movie Downrange together. So he has this wide range. He's not only the legendary animation producer. He produced like, you know, Paprika, not a Paprika, but a Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers. That's him. I see. And Pat Raver. So, no, so uh, he's a legendary animation producer, but, you know, he's, he has this wide range that he also gets something like, you know, hardcore horror movie like Downrange. So uh, I gave him the manga and he read it and, you know, we all loved it. So uh, we decided to do it. So it took us another one year to, you know, uh, write the script and last fall i shot this movie in all over japan and i just finished it a couple weeks ago so um i'm very proud of this movie and i'm I'm no doubt that this is my best work in my career even though i didn't use any of my weapon like action or the blood or guts (laughs) but it's 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 still a kind of otherworldly you know sort of fantasy isn't it If, if if my if my understanding from the uh is correct it's about a a kind of hotel where souls come to decide where they're going to go correct yes the soul but it's a soul in this world who is in a coma i see it's not the dead soul it's it's on the edge i see so whoever you know in the coma comes to the comes as a guest to this you know hotel and during the stay they look back at their life and when they check out they have to make a choice do you want to go back to your body and you live? You know, it's life is not easy, but you want to live, or you want to go. You want to go up to heaven. You know, so uh, it's it's a story about the choice. So um, to, yeah. Okay, I did want to ask you a few fanboy questions uh, about kind of an older film. Uh, it's one of my favorites of yours. Is Godzilla: Final Wars. And it's coming up on 20 years since that came out as well. Have your feelings changed about the film? I think from interviews, I get the sense you have kind of mixed emotions about it. No, I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of the movie, you know, and um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still, I don't know when was the last time I watched it, but the every, like, even now, every three months, every six months, I get a, you know, <laughs> request to do the interview, talk about the movie, you know, somewhere in the world. And right. it's beautiful. It's beautiful things. And I'm very, I did, you know, I did what I thought that, you know, the best. 
and 20 years ago and um yeah i'm very proud of it godzilla's been kind of having a renaissance in hollywood recently uh have, have you seen any of the the hollywood godzilla movies that have come out over the last few years yeah of course i mean yeah it's it's fun you know i just just, just as a fan you know i enjoy you know it's, it's a fun movie yeah how about shin godzilla or uh shin ultraman have you seen those what do you think about the kind of recent japanese kaiju films that's a no comment <laughs> okay <laughs> okay, I understand. <laughs> well, I, I just recently rewatched Final Wars, and I don't know. I was, I, it has a really different energy from a lot of the other Godzilla films in in a in a really great way. I love the opening of it. You know, the the casting is 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 really interesting. I mean, was it was it fun to make, or was it like was it, was it a pain to make? You know, you said you said movie making is always painful. Yeah, it's that, that's kind of like you know mixed feeling I have. You know, of course, it, of course, it was an honor to do 50th anniversary. Of course, that time they said it's going to be the final. Nobody believed it. I didn't believe it, but uh, for a while, yes, you know. So uh, it was an honor to do it, and I think I was the youngest director to do the Godzilla franchise. So you know, I was very honored and having fun. But uh, on the other hand, I had to fight like every single thing I had to fight. Right. Know? With this, I don't know, very Japanese way of thinking. You know, there is a reason that, you know, other than, you know, uh, Koreeda-san's movie, you know, other than like, you know, a movie like Drive My Car, that kind of movie, you know, works, you know. But uh, say entertainment action movie, you know, never works outside Japan, right? Yeah. While Korean movie is really taking over. <laughs> and I, I worked with, you know, Korean action team and Korean VFX team on Lupin the Third. And, you know, by the end of the shoot, every morning I was getting into Korean cruise van to go to the set. I, I go into the Korean team and I said, you know, I feel more home here, you know, because when I get into the, when I go into the, the Japanese crew, the only thing they say is, you know, hey, boss, we don't have money. We don't have you know time. You have to give up this, give up that. I mean. What the fuck is going on? You know, <laughs> it's right. So now I I understand because the Korean crew they were amazing. You know, I mean, no matter how much money you have, you know, how little you have or how much you have, you know, always never enough. You know, never enough time, never enough you know money. But the Korean team were amazing. They never said we can't do this or that or you have to give up this. They always always because the most important thing for them is how to support and, you know, support director's vision and make it happen, you know. But the, you know, but the most of that, not, not always the crew, but the producer on the Japan side is all about, you know, they don't care about the vision. They care about the money, you know. As long as you have the scenes, that's it, you know. It works. <laughs> that's what they keep on saying, you know. Uh, it, it works. It's fine. I mean, I'm not doing it to make it work. I'm trying to do something, you know, make it great, right? So uh, right. I always had to fight this unnecessary fight, which is energy sucking. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the le- reason I left Japan, you know. I mean, I have, a, I have a different kind of fight when I have to make a movie in Hollywood, which is more brutal. But, you know, still, I feel like, you know, English is my, not my first language, but I still feel after 16 years that, you know, I can, I can speak the same language. Right, but in, in Japanese film industry, it was very hard. So, 
especially the movie like you know Godzilla, you know that that was a Toho Studio movie. I mean, on the other hand, like a movie like Azumi or The Loop and the Third, it's not the Toho Studio movie. It was a you know more like an independent movie, but the Toho distributed it, right? But the Godzilla is, of course, I understand. You know, it's, it's a, the Godzilla is a tradition, yeah, tradition of Toho Studio, so it had to be Toho, you know, studio movie. So uh, everybody was blown away that I was able to bring my DP and my editor. I see. Normally, Toho wouldn't allow that. Yeah, that's what. So I was like, what? <laughs> but you know, but the Mr. Tomiyama was very supportive. You know, uh, you know, he was a great producer. You know, the Godzilla. And and he was the producer of the you know all the Godzilla Heisei Godzilla movies and and he was he made the brave choice to hire me to do the 50th anniversary you know Godzilla so uh, he very always respect my vision otherwise why he wanted to you know hire me to do that right and he wanted to make a change so um, me and Tomiyama-san you know we we had a great you know fun together but um, still in this system there's a lot of rules that. You know, some of the rules I could, I could, you know, change it. I could break it, but uh, there are a lot of rules that I couldn't, you know, touch. You know, because for this particular crew, you have to use this crew, and you know, if this crew is not matching my, you know, <laughs> high demand, I want to change it. But it's, you know, in Japan, you know, you can't really do that. You can't, you can't really fire people in Japan. On the other hand, in Hollywood, they even hire, you know, fire director. <laughs> Right, right, or the or the lead. You know, there's many cases where the lead the lead star has been fired. You know, yeah, but uh, in Japan, that that's not going to happen. So you know, I see. So, so there are a lot of things, a lot of part that uh, you know. I wish you know there there was a better way to do it, but you know, I I did my best. But uh, there were a lot of things like you know I I, I did, but uh, there are a lot of things you know I couldn't do it. I mean, I guess there's compromises when you do anything, when you're writing, when you're making movies, but it must be frustrating. It, it, it is. And, you know, yeah, especially the Godzilla, because all those man in suit and the special, you know, effects, basically that's not my unit, right? Which is very <laughs> frustrating because I was the one, you know, came up with the old ideas and storyboard and I just had to hand it to them, right? Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I wish I could have done it myself, but, you know, that's like a little too much, you know. Well, the tradition, you know, we have this special, you know, special effect unit director. So, like, really? <laughs> was Final Wars like the, the the the? I know it's obviously not the last, but is that the is that one of the last ones to have actual practical effects of like man in suit type? That, that was the last one. Yeah, and I knew that it's going to be the time is changing. That's what that's the first thing I said. You know, because after this, and it's all going to be the CGI anyway. So you know, let's let's do the the you know. One final big man in suit. Those technicians and stuff—they're—they're they're kind of a dying, literally breed these days. I mean, they're many of them are elderly. It's kind of a shame. Yeah, that's why I'm—I'm I'm very glad that you know we—we we were able to do that. And uh, yes, and special unit—you know—the special effect unit director Asada-san, he—you know—he did his best to you know translate my vision to what he you know what he had on the set. Yeah. I mean, you were like Godzilla. You had to fight all the time. So you kind of had to become Godzilla to make a Godzilla movie. <laughs> right. You were human Godzilla. I know. Yeah, I know. And, you know, again, the Japanese is not used to that. So uh, there's like, it's almost like an urban legend that, you know, how scary I am, how violent I am, how rude I am. 
I've never been rude to anybody, you know, I've never been violent to anybody, you know, but in Japan, you raise your voice and you have a strong opinion. People just, you know, freak out, which is, I don't understand, but, you know, somehow that's, that's the modern day Japanese thing. I'm glad you found another place where you could flourish out in uh, in Hollywood, and also, but you're coming back to Japan to film stuff too. So it's not like you it's not like you left your homeland. It's now you're just kind of working on your own terms, right? Yeah, yeah, no. So uh, yeah, this is like my uh, first Japanese movie in eight years since Lupin the Third. This is Three Sisters of Tembaso. But uh, yeah, I, I had a, I had a great casting crew, and you know, yeah, it was it was it was fun. So one thing I know about you is you're always going to the movies. You're always watching new movies. Have you seen anything really good over the last couple of years? I love the, the Northman. That was brilliant. The Viking film. Yeah, I was blown away. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that movie was almost like a Fury Road. You know, it's, it's just, just about the revenge. Are you, are you a fan of his other films? Like The Witch is really great too. And uh, what is his other? The Lighthouse. You know what? I'm not. You know, I was like, you know, yeah. I mean, I understand some some people like critics likes it. You know, film festival likes it. But I, I was like, this just is just a bit too out house for me. So uh, I was curious, like, you know, whoa, this guy's doing the revenge movie with ninety million dollars. One, okay. Then I was blown away. I mean, I, I love the movie. Anything good from Japan? Anything good from Japan? Yeah, I mean, I always admire Koreeda-san's movie, and um, I, I love that uh, Subarashiki Sekai Nishikamiya-san. Yeah, I, I love that movie, Yakusho Koji-san's movie. That, that was my one of my uh, favorite movie last year. How about Korean films? Are there any like Korean action films? I know there's some really crazy ones. I love Korean movie. Yeah, so uh, like yesterday, I, I went to see this movie called uh, Emergency Declaration. It's a uh, a- airplane virus terror attack movie i mean <laughs> i was like when i was watching i mean and i have to get in the airplane this friday i was like oh my god i need to cancel i can't get in that that movie was so intense just keep telling yourself it's only a movie only a movie only a movie yeah i just i just saw my korean movies yep okay <laughs> awesome thank you so much Thank you. Thank you for coming. I, I am really looking forward to your new film here when it opens up here in Japan. I actually, uh, I think that's a pretty cool concept. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I'll be I'll be in Japan in two weeks. So yeah, let's let's hang out. Let's hang out. Let's get a beer. Okay. Cool. All right. Bye. Thanks. Listen, kid. There are two things you don't know about the Earth. One is me, and the other is Godzilla. <laughs> Well, that about wraps it up for episode 17 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast, but we'll be back next week. In the meantime, please continue to listen to our show, support our show. Let us know on Twitter uh, what you want us to talk about. We're curious who's out there and what you think. And on that note, catch you next week on Pure Tokyo Scope. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
cheese, lettuce, tomatoes. If you're hungry for Mexican food, have a pizza. The Pizzerito at Shakey's. The new Shakey's in Modesto on McHenry Boulevard is celebrating their grand opening. Come join the celebration.